Collective Conversations is a podcast of the Nazarene Collective. We are people from diverse communities united with one mission and one vision that invites us all to take our next steps of faith following Jesus together. Sometimes these steps seem massive or more like a baby step for others. And more often than not, we don't take these steps alone. When walking with others, next steps often take place as we simply move at the speed of relationship, one conversation at a time. Welcome to Collective Conversations. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Sean and Keith are here. Hey, let's go. And we are looking. This is the unique one. Remember now you're listening to, well, it's been released on a Thursday instead of the typical Tuesday since we're into the month of October. But we will finish out. All seven churches in the podcast, so just be listening for that extra podcast that will be available each week. Since the last time we were together, there's mm. been a little uh, little surprise happening in your family. Oh, man. We, we got a bundle of joy that came seven weeks early, and man, Charlie Ray uh, made her way on the scene and is just doing incredible, and we are thrilled to death. And she is absolutely adorable. If you haven't seen a picture of her yet, I'm sure if you stalk Sean on Facebook or Instagram, you'll you'll find it. You'll see a few, I'm sure. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. And and Gabby, her mama is doing incredible, and Jake has really done great. Uh, they had a lot thrown at them early, and they're they're getting it. Now this whole grandparenting thing. Yeah, it's right. new territory. What what are you learning? What's difficult, and what's maybe the what's the best part of it? So uh, grandparenting is just different. It's a different thing, and uh, this is what I tell people uh, because we've got the bo- the twins, uh, Max and Brooks, who are the all boy, and now we got a princess, and we'll see how that goes. But grandparenting is awesome. You you get to spoil and send home. <laughs> Let their parents figure it out. So, I raised mine. I'm done. I'm not raising yours. <laughs> I'll spoil them. I'll have fun with them, but I ain't raising them. We're excited. We just we got uh, about another week or so in the NICU, and then we'll get her out and get her going. It is awesome news, and we just celebrate with Sean and, and Jake and Gabby and the whole family, and we're just thrilled for them. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to do a little bit of looking back at this past Sunday and the message there, and then in our end times discussion. Man, we've got we got a lot for you today. We're going to yeah. take a look at all, well, not necessarily all, but some of the major players that we read about uh, that p- most people would consider to be a part of the end times. But first, uh, let's talk a little bit more about Thyatira. If you weren't here with us on Sunday, I encourage you to go back, uh, give it a listen online or on the YouTube channel. We had three questions we walked through. What do or what do I tolerate? What am I holding on to and have I lost hope? And then using this story and the message that we have from Jesus for this church, we sort of unpack those three. But but there's a part I left out. If you were paying attention, I left out verses 22 and 23 of chapter 2 in Revelation. Here's, Here's what they say. So he's talking about Jezebel who was leading people astray, and she was taking them down paths um, very clearly away from God, doing things that God would speak against uh, in consideration of idol worship and sexual immorality. But here are the words that, that I didn't read in the service, but it says, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, talking about the Jezebel, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the church will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will pay each of you according to your deeds. 
That sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounds very in, very intense. And it is intense, what it he's saying. It is intense. It's real. I mean, you, you take the, the heart of what it is there. He's saying, okay, the Jezebel. We see that she would suffer. And if you take those words to heart, it, it's saying that her followers would suffer. And then, of course, we when you see the word children there, what in the world being said in that statement? And most of the theologians that are much smarter than you and I would agree on the fact that he's talking about the people that were influenced and some somebody that I had read also said it, it's the fruits of the attitude. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it, it so when it, you know this is your children, this is your um, it would be what what you have you know created by keeping this attitude. And so just like as parents you know create children, is this the attitude that is created? And here's what you have earned because of that. Oh yeah, I mean and Jezebel initially modeled it. Right. The people who listened to her took it in, modeled it, and then passed that on. So yeah, it's it's a ripple effect. It, and I don't want to forget that when he said, unless they repent. The right. repentance is always there. Redemption is always on the table with God. There is hope, not nope. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you listen. Oh man, I took notes. <laughs> I, you, you know, and what is hard, there is just more material than time. Oh yeah. And... And you never know what's going to catch somebody or, um, you know, when you hear something, you think this is the meaning, and it's not that the Word of God changes. I just think it it evolves in our own spirit as we mature, things mm. have a deeper meaning, or we become aware of them for the very first time, or or maybe it's like uh, those aha moments. Um, that doesn't mean the Word of God is changing. It means right. that we are. We're we're maturing and we're hearing it, oh. and it, it takes different meanings. And you think of some of the different things you've walked through in life, and it wasn't until you walked through that in life that some scripture came alive to you. But right. once you're walking in it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, now I, now I get it. Or there's a fresh perspective on it as well. But I, I agree with you. Scripture hasn't changed. We're just uh, growing and maturing as, as yeah. we walk out our faith. And we're just going to sort of wrap up that thought with Thyatira and and go ahead and jump into our end times conversation where we're talking this week about these main characters, or key players, I would say. We're going to give you some very quick summaries of some pretty complex things. Hopefully it's a catalyst for you to do some studying on your own. And I would say as you study, start with the actual Bible. Uh, maybe before you grab some of the other books first, start there and then uh, let that be the foundation for what you do. First key player we're going to talk about is just simply God, as in God the Father. Take the Holy Trinity mind, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God's in charge of all this. An important part of Scripture that we need to take to heart is in Matthew 24, verse 36, when it tells us this about God, God the Father in particular. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, which that part's hard to wrap my head around, but only the Father. God is the only God the Father is the only one who knows the timing of the last days. So it is his his end times, which means it is both his judgment and redemption and we're going to see both of those unfolding in that day. But God is undoubtedly uh, the foundational character, God the Father of everything that's going to take place. And so the the next kind of key uh, person to look at is Satan and we 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 hear all kinds of titles father of lies crafty serpent in revelation he is actually uh, the imagery that is used to describe Satan is is that of a dragon and in revelation 12 9 it says the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray 
He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And, and he will set out to deceive humanity. He is still kill and destroy. That is, that is his purpose, to still kill and destroy. And he wants people eventually to worship him as, as God. And he'll do this through the Antichrist, through false prophets, through, uh, you'll hear a phrase like the harlot of Babylon, and, and which will be the, the, the world church or the world religion that's, that's coming. And while Jesus reigns for the thousand years at the end of the tribulation, he'll be bound and unable to influence anyone. And he has had influence on the world. And after the last, after the thousand years, he's going to be released, and it's this short-lived experience. And he will try, but he will lose in this massive battle with Jesus and his army. And Satan's final experience is being thrown into the lake of fire. All right. Well, let's keep going. We're going to talk next about the Antichrist. The beast is the imagery we have of the Antichrist. Some of the imagery, ten horns and seven heads. Uh, let me just give you some of the different ideas that people have. Uh, most say the ten horns represent ten kings of countries or nations. Uh, a lot of different views on the seven heads, though. Some would teach that it is the final seven nations of the ten who are partnering with the Antichrist. Some would say it represents the seven hills of Rome, which gets real interesting because then people go all over the map with that. Um, they will reference Rome then as the capital city where the Antichrist uh, will rule. Some have connected it to the Vatican in their conversations. Others think the seven is describing a historical tracking of kings or maybe forms of government, uh, empires, political strength. But all, all tend to reference six that have existed. And they tend, they tend to save the seventh for this new reign of the revived Roman Empire that's going to be led by this Antichrist. Uh, we do know very clearly there will be nations that will align with the Antichrist as he begins to, to bring peace to the world and then turn that upside down. Right, and he, he continues in Revelation 13.3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. So what is this wound? And the question is, does he die or just be severely wounded? And can Satan kill the Antichrist and save him from death? Or if he does die, can you see the counterfeit actions going on here with the death and resurrection in comparison to Jesus' death? And resurrection. Now, let's dive back into the scripture. If we go to Revelation 13, verse 4, people worship the dragon. So remember the dragon, that's Satan, because he had given authority to the beast, who's the Antichrist. And they also, they also worship the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? But the people began to worship Satan because he is the power source of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is grasping all the power he can. In those moments, then, he begins to oppose any gods or objects of worship, where it used to be we know Satan welcomes everybody worshiping false gods, but now it's all got to go to him. He'll proclaim himself God, and like the Caesars of old day in the Roman Empire, he'll demand, hey, you're going to worship me. Yep. It is nuts. And and what do we know is that the, this will rule over the earth for a seven-year period. And, and remember the conversation um, about the tribulation. And, and Daniel 9.27 says, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven in the middle of the seven, and he'll put in and end a sacrifice and offer. And so at the beginning or before the tribulation, he'll make peace with Israel and sign a seven-year covenant. And at the halfway point is when it's believed he is wounded mortally. And after his resurrection or miraculous healing, however this works out, he breaks that peace treaty and demands the world worship him or die. And when you first think this is crazy, but if the Antichrist is bringing world peace, because there, there is thought that most wars have been fought over religious 
persecution Correct. or religious beliefs, like right. my God said this and my God said that. So if you have an Antichrist who comes in and brings peace and somebody tries to assassinate him, take his life, whatever that is, and is healed, then even those that say they're you know, non-believers will get on board because of the peace. Now, there's a bait and switch that we've already talked about. And so we see these Jewish customs are thrown aside. The temple, he places an image of himself to be worshipped. He's exalting himself over God, and people are going to buy into it. They're going to see it, and they're going to see the beauty and the peace. Well, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 4 says, He will oppose and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship. So he sets himself up in God's temple, pro- proclaiming himself to be God. All right, so that's enough about that guy. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the real deal and just give some straight-up facts about Jesus in the, in the as a key player in the end times. We know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's part of the Holy Trinity, and he is the one returning. And when he returns, he will come uh, with an army of angels and saints, and he will be the one to judge Satan, the Antichrist. We're going to talk here in a moment about the false prophets, and we'll judge the unbelieving world. He is the one that we read of in the end time to establish his millennial kingdom, which we talked about just a few weeks ago. So Jesus is the truth. The Antichrist is the counterfeit. The next player here is the false prophet. And uh, Revelation 13, 11 through 17, we're going to read all of that. But it says, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. The second beast is this false prophet. It's a comparison of the lamb, but what comes out of its mouth, a dragon indicates it will seem to be like Jesus. But what he speaks is more like Satan. And something the false prophet rises up in Israel instead of a European nation like the Antichrist. Now, if you go into Revelation 13 and a couple of verses there, 12 through 14, it, it talks once again about this beast, the false prophet one. It exercised all the authority of the first beast, that's the Antichrist, on its behalf, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wounds had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image of an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Some think he is trying to be more like Jesus, so the counterfeit that way. Others say this is actually, this false prophet's more of a counterfeit to the Holy Spirit. Hmm. One thing that is for sure, he's going to put on quite the show. It's also clear is he's the one that leads the world to worship the Antichrist. Can't imagine the the influence, uh, the miracles and wonders that he performs. Jesus talked about false miracles, fooling people. All the way back in Matthew 24, he talks about this. And, and maybe at the end, will it be supernatural power that this false prophet is using? Or maybe it will be something technologically generated. Mm. Uh, will it just be totally artificial? Who knows? Especially, you know, we have all our AI conversations going on now. You know, What we do know is a lot of people are going to be deceived. Yeah, and, and, and just discernment is 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 going to be on a short list. Right. The second beast was given uh in verse 15 it says the second beast was given a power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people great and small, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. 
So he oversees the construction of some kind of idol honoring the Antichrist. So whatever that means, if it's a temple or a statue or a monument of some kind, that it is this idea of a talking idol. Think of what, just think of what we can do, like you just said, with the, the our technology, with artificial intelligence and, and the speech writing, the fake videos that you see where you think people are saying things and, and they've never really said them, but... And regardless, he says, if you don't worship the idol, you die. And and this is not a call to cut out all technology or right. you know throw your computers away or any of that. It's just there are some things happening in the world and they're happening fast, and that you know makes us think these are being ushered in. And he is the one who institutes this mark of the beast, which we're going to talk about that uh, in a future episode, not necessarily now, but but know that this this is kind of a last thought. He's he's also thrown into the lake of fire with Satan and the Antichrist. These two prophets that show up in Revelation chapter eleven, and it says, "And I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for one one thousand two hundred and sixty days." clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying, and they have power to turn the water into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Don't mess with these two. No. They, they, they're tough. Well, these understand the, the two prophets we're talking about here, they come into play in the last half of the tribulation. So remember, if you're more of a believer in pre-trib, you know, this, this is well after you have, have gone on to heaven in the rapture. But those believing in mid-trib, you, you will maybe begin to hear some things about this. Um, but those of you who would say, no, I think we're going all the way through to the, to the end of the tribulation, that there is no rapture until the end, you would see this come into play. Um, those olive trees references, lampstand that's connected to the prophet Zechariah's vision. But like I said, I, I would not mess with these guys. They have fire coming from their eyes and their mouth. They can stop rain. They're calling down fire. M- most people tend to connect them with Elijah and Moses. Uh, the idea of Elijah and Moses connect to their powers to withhold rain and bring the plagues. And both of them were present at the transfiguration. It's not as important to know who they are, but what they're going to do, though. And these two guys are going to be shining God's light into a very, very dark world. And and I think it's, you know, also it's good to remember that John is sharing this, and he is telling the story, and he is using not—it's it, not that he's making it up, but he is using creative words to make a point, to help us understand— and so there is some things that I, I believe are, you know, this is exactly what's going to happen. And others, there's the imagery of it that maybe he just didn't have the words to describe it. And we have to, okay, there is something here. So the power of fire from the eyes and, and the mouth, is that really fire from the eyes and mouth? Or is that just they had that look about them and their words were so strong and powerful? And and so, you know, that and, and Elijah and Moses are so well thought of and as major players, we don't want to get hung up on it. And and I'm, I'm afraid sometimes we start reading it, it's easy to get hung up on. And because it's like, I don't understand, I can't comprehend it. Right. That doesn't make it wrong or right. It just, it is what it is just because I can't get it. So, and I'm sure that helped clear everything up. 
It's like you and I trying to describe the internet when we were eight year old, eight years old, and it didn't exist yet. That is that is that's why he is my favorite teacher, right there. That that statement is perfect. Revelation eleven seven through ten says, "Now when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt." where also the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending them each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. And so the Antichrist will show up and kill them in Jerusalem. And hearing what these guys are capable of, I wonder what the showdown will be like. And for three and a half days, the entire world gets access to seeing their bodies lying there in state. And and just 30 years ago, we probably thought this idea was nearly impossible, but the entire world could see them. But today we know that the world can have access in a matter of seconds. And verse 10 is so weird. People will celebrate by sending each other's uh, other gifts that they are that excited about their deaths and nothing happens to them until they were finished with their God appointed task. Yeah. I can't wrap my head around the exchanging of gifts like at Christmas or some other holiday because these two guys have, have been killed by the antichrist. And in, in verse 11, it continues. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Now, they stood back up alive, and people obviously see this. If the whole world watched them laying there, mm-hmm. the whole world would have watched them ascend into heaven. And can you imagine that loud voice, Come up here? I wonder what language God will speak. And to do so, I mean, how does this really play out? And and was the loud voice only heard by the two of them or everyone? Can you imagine the replay on the news? I mean, when they see this and, um, you know, an ESPN and everybody else, you know, it's got to <laughs> make it all. Ultra. Yeah, <laughs> all of them. Yeah, I mean, that's a piece that just it blows my mind, the power that will be on display, and yet there will still be people rejecting anything those prophets said. One thing's clear. There is a level of intensity to the end times that this world has never seen. And when you think of especially those seven years and that final generation that's in that last 3.5 years of of the seven, they will experience things on this earth that we have never known. Mm. So what do we do with all this? Well, just hear me out on this. It's one thing to live in fear, and we don't want you to. But also know that if you're in the Word, if you're following Jesus, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are going to be more aware than most and be able to discern and resist the enemy. God is not going to abandon us heading into that. You're going to be able to walk through it or be raptured out of it, walk through some of it, or walk through all of it knowing that he is with you. Well, thanks for joining us. We hope it's been a little bit helpful, giving you a little more information on those key players of the end time. Next week, you're going to have another two episodes of the podcast on on Tuesday. Uh, That release will be the continuation of our pilgrimage series. So I hope you're enjoying that, hearing some of those stories. And then next Thursday, we continue on with our discussion about the seven series and the end times. Thank you so much for joining us today. 